This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. We're talking this morning about godly church leaders. Godly church leaders looking at these verses in Titus, uh, just as we'll be talking this evening about the very next section about ungodly church leaders. So an encouragement for you to return tonight to hear, in a sense, the part two of this. Uh, So we're talking about godly church leadership. And we recognize immediately, as soon as we look at the issue of leadership... There's few such contentious issues. Uh, just look at the nation. What, what garners more media attention, more, more talk, more thinking than the leadership of the country? Leadership can be a divisive issue. It's something uh, that garners a lot of debate. And we, we think of sort of questions like, what kind of, what kind of leaders do we need? What kind of leaders do we want? Uh, some might say, do we even need leaders? At all, can any leaders really be trusted? Our society asks these questions all the time, debates them constantly. And we might, we might wonder the same thing about God's church. What's God's leadership blueprint for his church? Uh, do we really need leaders? Uh, and if so, what are they supposed to do? And what sort of people should we be looking for to fill these roles? Those are the sort of questions I want us to look at in God's word this morning. And we'll be looking looking at that under three headings. We're going to look at, first, the necessity of church leaders. Second, the responsibility of church leaders. And thirdly, the quality of church leaders. So godly church leaders, their necessity, their responsibility, and their quality. So first, their necessity. Do we really need leaders in our local churches? Right? You know, uh, we remember the Reformation doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, right? We're all priests now, in a sense, who can go to God. We remember also that uh, the perspicuity of Scripture, that Scripture is clear, that we're allowed to interpret it and look at it and understand it ourselves. But although these things are true, we must look to God's Word. We must look to what it clearly says about His leadership blueprint for the local church. And so right away, take a look at verse 5. Paul thought church leadership was necessary. He says to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete. Okay, if you remember, Paul was ministering in Crete with Titus, and then he left, and left Titus, he says, to, right here, to put what remained into order, to keep building on the foundation Paul established. And his first order of business in this building on the foundation is to appoint elders in every church. This is why he says he left him there, uh, to appoint leaders in every church. This is his first order of business, as in this is one of the first essential tasks to building a gospel ministry that will go on from one generation to the next. And why would Paul think this is so important? Because Paul understands that 
in general, leadership is necessary to the survival of institutions. Generally, when leadership ceases, so does the organization or institution uh, that's found under it. Now, just consider this illustration for me, if you will. Uh, in a small example, if you, say, wanted to start a book club where you gather some friends and you want to read, let's say, the, the classy Russian novels. So you want to read some Tolstoy or some Dostoevsky. That's the purpose of your book club. And so at the very least, you need someone who has at least some level of initiative to get this thing going. And even if you, say, decide together what you're going to read or when you're going to meet, you need someone to at least suggest, hey, we need to decide what to read. We need to decide where and when to meet. A minimum of leadership is necessary to get this going. But then also, there needs to be leadership in order to stay the course. Because, you know, inadvertently, you know, in this book club, you could imagine someone all of a sudden, when it comes time to read a new book, they're like, ah, let's not do these Russian novels. Why don't we do something fun, like a, maybe like a vampire novel? Or something that, something that would be really fun to, fun to read. And uh, it takes leadership to say, no, 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 no. That's not the purpose of this club. This is a club for the classy Russian novels, not young adult fiction. And that's an act of leadership to not only in the start to direct, but to course correct to make sure that the organization stays true to its intent and purposes. And that's kind of what Paul is saying. Uh, the purpose of elders, in order to keep a church going, in order to make sure it stays the course, stays healthy, leaders are necessary to the survival of institutions so that they can maintain their unique identity. And as the church, we have a unique identity of the, as the people of God. We have a unique belief, um, a unique theology or doctrine. And we have a unique way of life. And church leaders help maintain and sustain those. And this is especially important in the church. Because it's not, the stakes are a lot higher than a book club uh, leaving its mission. The stakes are the worship of God. And the obedience of people to him in this world. When the church goes off course, it's serious business. It's eternal souls in the balance. And this is even harder in light of false teachers, those in the church who would intentionally try to shift the course of the church. And that's one of the primary reasons why Paul says we even need church leaders. If you look down at verse 10, he says, here's the type of leaders we need, and the reason he gives in verse 10 is for or because there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. There's many deceptive people, many who would want to take leadership in the church to direct it according to their own ends and purposes. We'll be looking at these sorts of people tonight. And we need to recognize that as the church, we're not immune to these threats. It wasn't that long ago, even in our own history in the Presbyterian church, that the church started going way off course. And leadership needed to arise to seek to pull the church back to its doctrinal foundations. We're not immune to these threats, and so we need to pray God for faithful, godly church leaders that will help direct and course correct where needed that the church will maintain its distinctive mission, its distinctive identity. So church leaders are necessary. Uh, secondly, let's look at their responsibility. So if we're going to have these church leaders, what sort of things should they do? What are kind of their activities? What are they going to be about? Well, we learn a lot about the activities elders are supposed to engage in by just looking at the different titles, uh, the, the different pictures given to illustrate their role. So take a look right in verse 5. He, Titus is told to go and appoint elders. Appoint elders. 
And uh, this isn't just, you know, aged men, but this, uh, this term elders is, is the word that actually is the word that creates our word Presbyterian. It's a presbyteros. That's the Greek word for elder. And we're actually called a Presbyterian church for our distinctive form of church government, which is that we believe that God's local church is to be led by a team of elders or presbyters, um, a team that we call the session. And that's different than churches that think that churches are ruled by bishops or by popes. We are led by a team of elders. And notice it's elders, plural. He's told to appoint elders, not just one person running the show, but in God's wisdom, he gives a group to, to lead together, a form of checks and balances, if you will. And this idea of elders actually one that's borrowed from Judaism. It's from uh, the Jewish society. In Israel, from the earliest times, we see there are elders. And these elders in ancient Israel were men who were recognized as uh, leaders who would be, in a sense, representatives of the, of the community of the people, representatives who would help make decisions for the people. Like, you remember Moses came down from the wilderness and he met with the elders, the people that kind of had decision-making power. And so they had this directing role, but then they also were entrusted with judgment. They were people who sat in the gates to hear cases, and they would seek to apply God's word to people's individual circumstances, to, to render a, a just judgment in the case. So this is the idea that's clear in the mind of Paul and leaders and the church of that time when they're hearing the word elders. They're reminded of these Jewish representative leaders. Elders, But not just elders, look at verse 7. Here they are called overseers. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So overseer here is a a pretty accurate translation. Uh, It means a a manager or a superintendent or a guardian. And uh, confusingly, some Bibles would translate this as bishop. You might have the word bishop in your Bible. And that often came in from a tradition that thought that bishops were kind of people who were above elders. They were these special, like, super pastors. Uh, But here we see pretty clearly that uh, this term overseers refers back to the elders. And so we understand that these two terms, elders and overseers, refer to one one role, one one office, if you will. And clear in in the word, they're meant to oversee. They're meant to oversee. And part of this is, look right after this. It says, overseers, as God's stewards, must be above reproach. So an elder, an overseer, is called to be a steward of God. That is, a steward is basically just a a household manager. Someone who sort of oversees and runs the affairs of the household in the name and in the place of another. We, we, we might think of an old English butler. You might think of, say, a, like a Carson from Downton Abbey. Someone who's kind of the head of the workings of the house who oversees the affairs. And, you know, if you even think on that example, the more noble the house, the more noble the role. The, the one who's the, who's the overseer, the steward of the king's house, wow, that's a noble role. How much more so the one who's called to steward and oversee God's household, the one who's called to care for the family of God. And that's what we see here, that elders are called to be ones who help look after God's family, help care for the household of God. So elders have an authority, they have a responsibility in these things, 
And a really good sort of overall idea to apply to this is what we read in 1 Peter. These ideas are all comprehended in the term shepherding. Peter said, I exhort the elders to shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. So elders have this shepherding role, this overseeing role, this directing and correcting role. And so how must they do this? How are they going to fulfill this responsibility? Well, if you look down at verse 9, it says that an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So what this is saying is that elders exercise their shepherding responsibilities through the use of the word of God. Elders don't get to make their own rules. They don't get to teach their own opinions. But their authority is what we might call a derivative authority. It's authority only under the word of God as representatives in God's household seeking to teach his will. So maybe think of it like this. Um, if, if anyone's an oldest sibling here, boys and girls, any oldest siblings, uh, if you were an oldest sibling, you might have been the one often saddled with the babysitting responsibility, right? As I often was, oldest sibling, uh, definitely babysitting the younger ones. But there's always that question when the parents are heading out the door, okay, what is the extent of my brother or sister's authority? And uh, parents are often careful to qualify that um, this was, for some reason in my family, my brothers and sisters would always say, well, what if JC like, commands us to give him massages the whole time? Or whatever. They're like, no, no, he can't command to do anything like that. And we understand that as a sibling, you're representing the parents, and really the role when you're babysitting is to just help everyone else keep the rules of the house. To just act in a way that would be in accord with what the parents would want. No, you're not allowed to eat that. No, you're not allowed to watch that. Yes, we need to go to bed at this time. Uh, their authority as a, the babysitter is derived from the authority of the parents. And it's the same way with elders. Elders have an authority under God the Father to help see that God's will is being done. That his people are walking in the ways of Jesus. And if they're going astray, to bring them back. And the two ways they do this, uh, if you look at that verse, it says that they're called to instruct in sound doctrine, or it could be the word exhort in sound doctrine, and to rebuke those who contradict it. So they're to instruct in the right way and to rebuke those going the wrong way. Or we might say, uh, I will call this uh, directing and correcting. Those could simply be thought of as the two main roles of an elder. They're to direct and correct according to the word of God. Uh, if, if anyone's run cross-country, and I don't know what age they stop this. I only ran cross-country once when I was 10. But at least for the young ages, we always had this thing in cross-country where there was someone called a rabbit and someone called a turtle. And the rabbit would run out. It was usually someone older. They would run out ahead of the pack, ahead of all the kids, to make sure they were following the right course, to, to kind of lead and inspire them. And then there was a turtle. And the turtle would come up behind and make sure that no one was kind of getting lost or getting so discouraged and left astray. They were come to help them move along and make sure everyone's staying on track. And these are kind of like the, the two different things elders are called to do. Elders uh, are to be men who lead the charge, who head out and be like, Casting vision, setting the course, showing the way we want to walk in, but also at the same time coming behind and encouraging the downcast, comforting the faint, coming along and be like, hey, we're all in this together. We're all in the race of faith. Hey, don't go over there. That's not the path you want to be on. Come back. Get back in the race. Elders are to be rabbits and turtles. They're to direct and to correct 
according to the word of God. And now just as a side note, you know, not all elders have the exact same role in this. We recognize that, um, as we're told in 1 Timothy 5.17, that there are some elders who have a special gifting, a special calling, and a special commission from God to preach and teach the word of God. It's a, it's a, it's a special ministry of public proclamation that is unique to some elders, but not given to all. And so we distinguish in, in our church here between what we might call teaching elders and ruling elders. Um, all elders, and these teaching elders we often call ministers or pastors, they're elders that are to shepherd, to, to direct and correct like the rest, but have a special ministry of public proclamation, a special need to invest themselves in studying the word of God. But they are part of the team of elders. Elders are shepherding elders. They're called to direct and correct according to the word of God, though not all of them might do it vocationally. Not all of them uh, might do it full-time. Some might be part-time. Some might be non-vocational. But it's a team, and they all have this task to, to shepherd, to direct and correct the church according to the word of God. And it's a high calling, right? They're stewards of the house of God. And so if we have this high calling, what sort of quality of person are we looking for? What sort of attributes should we be considering in a person that we want to put into this important role? And now, I must confess that we won't have time to look at each one of these in detail. We, we don't have time to unpack what each of them mean. Uh, but in a sense, that's okay, because this list of qualities, it's not an exhaustive list. This is not like the checklist. It's not an exhaustive list, it's a representative list. These are examples of the sorts of traits that would paint the picture of the sort of man who would be in this sort of position. And so we're going to look at them from a bit more of a bird's eye perspective, which I think is right because Paul himself, there's one quality in his mind, there's one essential attribute that dwarfs all the others, or maybe not dwarfs, maybe uh, it it umbrellas, it encompasses all the others. Take a look at verse 6. Appoint elders... If anyone is above reproach, that is the essential catch-all quality of a one who is qualified to be an elder. Look again at verse 7. He repeats it. For an overseer, as God's stewards, must be above reproach. It's not optional. So this above reproach idea is the idea that applies to every other quality mentioned. Because no one's going to be perfect in all of them, but they must be above reproach. In every quality. So we don't say that word, above reproach. What does that mean? Some translations might say blameless, or we we might think um, unaccusable. There's nothing when you look at this person's life that you feel like you would accuse them for, or there's nothing in in their life that would make you like lose respect for them and their godliness and a life of good works. There's, There's no legitimate things you think that they need a godly rebuke for. And so when we flip that, what that means is that these are people called to be exemplary. They're called to be a model, an example, someone we would want to follow in these different areas. And the two major areas that this above reproach idea gets applied to is first it gets applied to family life, and then it gets applied to personal character. So what we're looking for in elders is men who are above reproach, exemplary in their family life, and then also exemplary in their personal character. Exemplary in household management and exemplary in self-management. They need those sorts of noble qualities that befit their noble office. 
And really, what, what we want is the people who are elders, or who are going to be elders, should be people that we would want to be elders. I know that sounds obvious, but it's, not, it's no burden to set a leader over you who you want over you. So to say someone's like, I respect you in your life, I think you're a great example, I would love for you to help direct my course. I would love for you to help encourage me and keep me on track in it. There are people that, in a sense, already are recognized as elders that we want to be elders. Um, in a sense, you know, think of um, if you were going to take piano lessons, either for, for, what, for your kids, if they were going to take piano lessons, or if you were, what's the type of person you would want to learn from? Would it be someone who is like an expert in music theory, but doesn't play well themselves? No, probably not. Uh, yes, you want someone that knows their stuff, uh, music, music theory-wise, but you want someone who plays beautifully, because your hope is to grow up into the same thing as your teacher, to learn how to play like them, to learn how to have a beautiful melody in the way that they carry it. And so it ought to be with elders, that these are people who live beautifully and have lives that we would want to imitate ourselves, who we can learn from as we seek to all uh, make, in a sense, our lives a beautiful song before the Lord. And so in this list, this is the big idea here. They need to be exemplary. Exemplary in family life, exemplary in character. And I'm just going to read this list again for us of all these different qualities. And I want to encourage you, as we don't have time to look in these, um, if you want something practical to do after this sermon, take some time this afternoon, maybe 15 minutes, and just slowly and meditatively look through these qualities and ask the Lord to reveal in your heart, where should I be focusing? Which of these areas do I feel like I'm maybe not exemplary in? And I need uh, the help of this Holy Spirit to live this way. Because really, these qualities aren't just for leaders. These are the qualities that make a godly Christian. We're, we're to live well in our families. We're to have good personal character. So these are things we can all learn from. So I'd encourage you, take them and for yourself, ask the Lord to reveal to you which one of these you need to work on. Okay, so let's read this If anyone's above reproach, the husband of one wife, that means sexually faithful, and his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, that is, uh, his children are well managed. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, okay, no proud elders, or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good. So, someone who cares for people, right? Elders are not business people. Elders are people people. They're called to shepherd. A lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So if we think of this household and personal character, uh, it makes sense why Paul would say in 1 Timothy 3.5, referencing these family qualities, if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That's kind of the rationale behind the need for family, um, exemplary family life. But we can say the same thing about personal character. If someone doesn't know how to manage their own life, if someone doesn't know how to manage their own lusts, their own passions, their own desires, how will they care for God's people? So elders must be above reproach in family life and in personal character. Those are the two broad things. But there's a last one that's also really important. And it's a second statement that starts with the word must. Okay, and if we see something that says must, they must be this way, that's pretty important. Verse 9, take a look at verse 9. An elder must 
Hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word. An elder needs to be a man with a tight grip. A good grip on what? On the truth. A good grip on the word of God. Another way to say this is we need someone who is orthodox. That is, who holds to the truths of the faith passed down. And, and that's why in our church we require elders to give assent, to subscribe to our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith. The reason for this is just here. We believe that um, to hold the Bible, our confession is a summary of what the Bible teaches. We say, you know, there's a lot of content in the Bible here, but we believe that this little document quite accurately summarizes many of the most important things in Scripture. So we say, we want you here at Grace Fellowship to agree with this document and to hold firm to it so that we know that you're holding firm to what we believe the Bible to teach. To hold firm. To be able to properly discern truth from error. If you don't know the truth, how can you direct in the right way? How can you correct? It has to be according to the word of God, as we've already seen. And so an elder must hold firm the trustworthy word. But this isn't just the truth of scripture. Preeminently, this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Elders need to be people, we need to be people, who hold fast to the gospel and those wonderful gospel truths that make up the essence of our faith. We need to have a tight grip on the basics. Uh, if you think of, uh, like, if you've ever seen a, a young mom who's trying to come home from the grocery store and is loaded, not with just arms full of children, but arms full of groceries as well, trying to keep a tight grip on all of them because they're all important. But if something's going to fall, you would rather it be the eggs than the child, right? You're going to hold the child as most precious. And as we want to hold every truth that the Bible teaches, we want to hold it all. We must cling as hard, as dearly as possible to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To say, no matter what, I will not compromise the gospel at all costs. I will not, I will not drop these gospel truths. The gospel ought to be most precious to us. We ought to be unwilling to compromise the gospel of Jesus at all costs. And these are the qualities we need for our church leaders. Men who are faithful in their home life. Faithful in their personal character. Faithful in holding to the doctrine handed down. Faithful to the gospel of God. These are the sorts of men we can trust to lead wisely and well. These are the sorts of men that it's a joy to come under and submit to. Who we desire to lead us in the ways of God. So are church leaders necessary? Yes. What, what are they supposed to do? Shepherd the flock. And what do they need to be? They need to be exemplary. Exemplary in home life. Exemplary in character. Exemplary in holding fast to the word of God. So, so to summarize, we could say simply this. That church leaders are necessary for the faithful continuity of the local church. They are to oversee the church body, directing and correcting according to the word of God. They are to be men who are exemplary in family life and character and in doctrine. And as we think of these qualities, we recognize and remember that we all fall short of them in many ways. We fall short in attaining even what we would want to be for ourselves. And so thank the Lord for the Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. He's the true elder. He's the perfect leader, the perfect overseer of his church. And he was the shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. He had all of these qualities perfectly. 
And by faith, when we trust in him, it's credited to our account. And so, like we said at the very beginning, we stand before God in the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Colossians 1.22 says, one of my favorite verses in the scripture, we can stand holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So this above reproach is we get it in Christ and we want to live up to it. We have the opportunity then to reflect Christ in all we do. Not just elders, but all of us are, to, are called in our special spheres to, um, to reflect that shepherding heart of the Lord Jesus. To reflect his perfect character. To love our families, to love our friends, to love our churches. So let's serve in the freedom of the shepherd, um, the great shepherd, that we're only ever under him. We serve by the strength that he supplies. We love with the love with which he first loved us. And just a, a, a final application. Uh, we want godly leaders here at Grace Fellowship. Thank the Lord that we already have some. So let's be people that thank God for our leaders, but let's be in prayer that God would raise up and provide for us exemplary men who can help direct this church, who can help correct us when we need it. Uh, We already have elder interns in training. Keep your eyes open. Let's be praying and asking that this is the next step for us as a church. This is the next step, even we see in Paul's plan of gospel succession. He wanted to hand the church off from Titus to a group of elders who would continue the gospel ministry. And we want a faithful gospel ministry here for a long time. So let's be in prayer for our leaders. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, paid for all our sins, who sits at the right hand of God for us even now. We thank you that you gave gifts to your church in pastors and teachers, and we ask that you will supply us with everything good to do your will. And we recognize, Lord, that part of the goodness you have in store for us is godly leaders. We ask that you will grant us such to lead us in your ways, to lead us in your truth. Lord, and we do pray that you will protect us from error. Help us to stay the course. Would we never go astray in this church from the pure truth of the word, the gospel truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be a church that cares to follow you all the way, to believe your words, to obey your commands, and to love your person. Lord, we thank you for our leaders, and we pray that you will bless us with more. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing uh, a song of response. Uh, the church's one foundation, again, found in your bulletins or on the screens. Remembering that it's the Lord who builds his church. Um, our best looking, our best searching, our best trying. Uh, we do it all, recognize that God loves his church more than we do. And it's built on the foundation of Christ. And so we trust him and look to Lord, the Lord um, as the Lord of his church. Let's sing together.